We are in the middle of Jonah's spiritual autobiography, so to speak. This is in Jonah chapter 2, and these are his personal reflections on not merely what is happening to him externally, but what the Lord is doing in his heart, what he has learned. And he has been through a lot. In, In a single day, he has run away from God's presence. He has resisted what God has commanded, and he has seen it all backfire. He had desired to avoid telling the Gentiles about the truths of who God is, only to see on the boat that he has to tell the Gentiles the truths about who God is, and they actually embrace him. And then, after all that, he gets thrown off the boat, nearly dies in the water, and then is swallowed by a great fish, all in one day. If you thought you had a bad day, this is a lot to take in. How do you respond to all of that? All that that happens in such a concentrated form, Jonah provides us his inspired reflections of what God has taught him in these times. And through that, we learn, we learn who God is and how we respond to him as well. So what has he learned so far? Well, he has learned how to submit to God. He has learned the necessity of prayer. He has learned about the nature of not just knowing about God, but actually having a personal relationship with God. He has learned to embrace what God has put into his life as opposed to resist it. And he has learned the power of salvation, how astonishing it is that you can call upon God and he answers, that you can call upon God and he delivers. We must remember that the gospel may be old news to us because we are familiar, but it never ceases to be good news. And Jonah reiterates that truth to us over and over, that our God is a God of salvation. But here is another major lesson Jonah learns, namely that God is with us, that God is with us. He is omnipresent. And this is a vital truth for us to understand. And it is not just a truth that is found in a hodgepodge of Scripture. This is a theme that extends throughout Scripture from the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, from the foundations of the founding of Israel. This is a truth that God has impressed upon his people. For example, with Jacob, one of the founding patriarchs of the nation, Jacob has a dream at Bethel, which means house of God, and he sees a a ladder, a stairway between earth and heaven, and the message is clear. God is not just in heaven. He is with us here. He is with us here. How does Jacob survive all that he survives in his life? As we see in Genesis, it's simple, because God is with him. God is with him. God is with him. We see this not just in Genesis, but the theme continues even in the book of Kings, shall we say? In 1 Kings 20, some of another nation of Aram or Syria, they thought that God was only a God of the mountains or the valleys and that he didn't reign in certain places and God must show them. No, he reigns not in one place. He reigns in every place. We see this with the prophet like Elijah, where he goes to Tyre and Sidon, the homeland of Baal. And people might think, well, that's Baal's home turf. That means that Baal rules there. No, our God rules there. He raises people from the dead. He is in control of famine. He is in control of provision. And so God rules everywhere. We see this in the prophets. Isaiah 6, 3. Let us not forget a famous text that God's glory fills the 
earth. His entire agenda in Ezekiel is to fill the earth with his presence. If you remember his opening vision, that is Ezekiel's opening vision, with a wheel within a wheel and this chariot throne, it is an entire symbolic presentation, an entire symbolic message that God rules from heaven over the entire world, filled with animals and all, because his glory is to fill the earth. And in the end, in Ezekiel 40 through 48, we read that the earth shines forth with his glory. He is present. He is omnipresent. And it's not just in the future, it is in the present moment. Psalm 139 reminds us, where can I flee from his presence? He's with us. He's with us. In fact, he even explicitly says these words in the New Testament. The Great Commission, our commission, go to the ends of the earth, for I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The author of Hebrews quoting Deuteronomy 31, and now you have both old and new in one point. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the nature of the omnipresence of God. Indeed, the Lord is near. This is not just some remote idea or obscure fact of Scripture. This is something that runs from Old Testament to New Testament, beginning to end, and it is a major, a major theme in the book of Jonah. After all, Jonah didn't just flee from God. It says in Jonah 1, he fled from God's presence presence. This was direct resistance, direct suppression against God's omnipresence. But what God demonstrates over and over in chapter one is God is there. God is there. He's in Joppa. He's on the boat. He's in the storm. He's with the sea and he sends a fish. He's with the Jewish people and he's even with the Gentile people to convert them. And here is where you learn why the Bible in Jonah particularly emphasizes his omnipresence so much. Because God is everywhere, that's why he is the God of every one. He is the only true God. And that is why he cares about not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Because he's not just located in one place, he is everywhere. He is the sovereign God of every location. And he owns all peoples because he is there. And that's what Jonah wanted to resist Because if God was not truly omnipresent, then he didn't have to go preach to another nation. Because God isn't necessarily there. And he doesn't necessarily have to be worshipped by those people from that location. But Jonah found out the hard way that you can't escape the doctrine of omnipresence. In fact, he found out the hard way that it wasn't just that omnipresence is so ugly because it makes you want to do missions, which he wanted to resist. It's actually this, he needed God's omnipresence. Without God's omnipresence, Jonah is dead. Jonah is dead. That's what he reflects on in Jonah chapter 2. Omnipresence is not just this doctrine you need to know. Omnipresence is the doctrine that is the anchor of your soul and the reason you survive. The reason, in part, that you are saved. Because God is not just powerful, he's there to act for you. And that is what Jonah learned, the beauty of omnipresence. And that is what we would like to learn this morning from the text as he teaches us through this text of Jonah chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. But in the midst of all this, let us not lose the main point. 
Let us not lose the main point within Jonah. There is an irony to omnipresence. Often when we think about and conceptualize omnipresence, it's very, very hilarious. We narrow omnipresence because we make it all about ourselves, all about us. He's with me. He's with me. He's he's watching you so you're accountable. Or more positively, he's watching over you, so you're supported. And that's true, but here's the irony. Omnipresence isn't just that God is here with you, and that's it. That's not omnipresence. Omnipresence is he is not just here with you, he is everywhere. Which means you have to take your eyes off of yourself and think about things far beyond you. You have to love the God who is sovereign everywhere and champion him. Yes, is it true that God is with you no matter what? Yes, that is part of the doctrine of omnipresence. That is the part that initially shows its beauty to us. But the point of Jonah is, but don't lose the fact then that then you serve a great God who goes far beyond you. And we can't be selfish any longer. We cannot be selfish any longer. And so there are three truths Three truths, three ways that God is with us in his honor. God is with us in danger. God is with us in deliverance. And God is with us directly. Look at verses 5 and the beginning of 6 for the first point. God is with us in danger. When you read verses 5 and the beginning of 6, you notice that there is extreme danger. You have the water that surrounds and encompasses, the deep that surrounds, the, the reeds that wrap around one's head. You're sinking down, and you might say, this sounds pretty depressing. But what you have to understand in context is that the emphasis is that God is there. Whether you look at verse 3, it says simply this, that you were the one who cast me there. God is the one responsible for this. God is present there. Or if you look after these verses, in verse 6b, it talks about how God is the one that raised my life from the pit. No matter if you look before or after, it is about how God was doing things, and God was present, and God intervened, and God delivered. And therefore, this is surrounded by a context that says the main force, the main point, the main purpose is, yes, Jonah is in great danger, but God is there. But God is there. He put him there, and he got him out. Therefore, he's there. He was there at the beginning. He was there at the end. Therefore, he's there in the middle. We understand this. And so here's the question, when is God with you? When is God with you? That is what we want to look at as we think about the danger that Jonah is in. How does he describe his danger? When is God with you? Here's when he's with you, when you're dying. When you're dying. Notice the opening of verse 5. The water encompassed, I think sometimes in translation says, to the point of death. Literally in Hebrew, unto my soul. Unto my soul. The picture is that water is not just outside of Jonah as he's in the sea. Water has come inside of him. It has saturated him internally to the point as if it is in his throat, it is his lungs, it is in his very soul. You know this process. It's the process of drowning. You know this. It's one of the most terrifying sensations because everything in your body reacts. Everything in your body is instinctive. It needs air. 
It needs air. And what is happening when you are in the water, you feel the need to breathe. You feel the need to take a breath, but you know that that is death. But in panic, you do. And when you're in the water, it just fills your lungs more with water. And now you know you're really doomed. Now you know you're really doomed. Jonah says, I was there. I was there. I needed air, and I knew I had none around me, and I knew I had none in me. I'm about to die. I'm about to die. And you might say, well, that's really depressing. It is, until you realize Jonah's point. What is Jonah saying? And at that moment, God was there. God was there. That matters. You know, we live in a first world nation, and we have what we call first world problems. These are silly problems that really aren't problems. And to find out what these problems were, I went on the first world thing, which is the internet, (laughs) to search for all the kinds of first world problems that there are. They're fascinating. People say first world problems are missed and delayed flights. That would be true. Slow internet connection. People talk about the dread of the buffer on a video. People have low battery anxiety for their phones. They have a first world problem is not having a cable long enough from the outlet to your bed so that you can plug in your device. There's a first world problem. This is documented where people are hungry for everything except what is in their refrigerator. People are thinking first world problems is that my latte doesn't have enough cinnamon on it, even though lattes don't have any cinnamon. These are the nature of first world problems. And we are entrenched and immersed in these problems. And we forget, and here's the true first world problem is is this. We don't really have those problems. Those aren't problems. And we neglect the true problems we really will face. And here's what Jonah says. Everyone faces this. Everyone will face a trial when, like Jonah, you're not dead. You're just near death. You feel like you're near death. You feel the weight of death and dying. And Jonah says, and you know what? God is there. God is with me. I knew that at that moment that God is with me. It reminds me uh, when I was in the master's college at the time, My freshman year, one of my professors was diagnosed with cancer, C.W. Smith. And in part, my education at the university was so rich and full, but it was rich and fuller, shall we say, because I watched a godly man die. My freshman year, he was diagnosed. My last year, he went to be with the Lord. So you watch a man die. And a student one time walked up to C.W. and said, C.W., are you afraid? Are you afraid? And the student was very sincere, very heavy-hearted. And C.W., in his typical style, turned to the student and said, Afraid of what? Going to heaven? I'm not afraid of that. You afraid of that? You either believe the truth or you don't. And for us who know Christ, and for us who know the gospel, here's what you learn. You don't need to be afraid. He is there. Jonah is the reminder. What did Jonah learn? In the moment when he thought all was going to be taken away, when he was about to die, he didn't die. We know that, but he felt like it. He said, I realized at that moment, at that precise instant, 
God was with me. That's omnipresence. That's the power of omnipresence. And, and it is exactly what Psalm 23 reminds us. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. You are there. Your rad and your staff, they are by my side. I see and I know that God is there. That is the triumph of God's omnipresence. It's not just when you're dying. Notice, here's another danger. Here's another danger that Jonah talks about. It's when you're lost. When you're lost. He talks about how the deep surrounds him. How the deep surrounds him. Well, what is this talking about? Well, it is referring to how you can get so deep into the ocean. How you can go so far down into the sea that you become disoriented. And in fact, that's the official term. There is kind of deep sea disorientation. And you cannot figure out what is up from down because you are so separated from the surface. You have, in essence, a kind of vertigo. On a horizontal level, if you want to think about it from the perspective of being on the surface of the water, this would happen when you are so far out in the ocean, you don't know which way the land is without instrumentation. You are completely lost. You are completely disoriented. You are completely isolated. You don't know which way to go. And Jonah says here, the deep, which is a an idea of where you are told where to go. I had no idea how to escape. I felt like I was trapped in a sense. And he says, and God was there. I might not have known where to go, but God was there. We don't like to be lost, and that's why we like Google Maps. That's also why we hate it when the GPS fails. And there are plenty of times in life where we face situations where we're lost. We don't know how we're going to resolve this. We don't know how this is all going to get solved. We don't know how we're going to get through it. We don't know anything. We're in panic That's what happens, and sometimes you just sit on the ground overwhelmed, and you say, I don't know what to do. I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I'm just overwhelmed. Know this, Jonah says, when I was in the sea, and I had no idea how to get through, God was there. God was there. God is there when you're dying. God is there when you're lost. God is there when there is no escape. Notice the final phrase of Verse 5, it talks about how the reed is wrapped around my head. The reed is wrapped around my head. What is that talking about? Well, it's not just that his lungs are filling with water. It's that externally in the water, the water has bound him. Sometimes people drown tragically, not because they took too much water in initially, but because they got entangled. They got trapped They got ensnared by what was in the water, the debris or the plant life in the water, and it caught them, and they couldn't get out. In contrast to the previous idea where you don't know what to do, here you know. You know it's over. You know you can't get out. You are certain. It is like the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1. He recounts how we had the sentence of death on ourselves. He knew he was going to die that moment. He was absolutely confident that that's what was going to happen. Sometimes you don't know what to do. Sometimes you do know that you are in big trouble. And these are the moments Jonah says, I knew. I knew I was trapped. I knew there was no escape. Even then, Jonah says, God is with me. God is with me. And so we see there is danger. Danger of dying. Danger of being lost. Danger of being trapped and having no escape. But here's another interesting one, fascinating in the parallelism. 
God is with you not only in those times, God is with you when he disciplines you. God is with you when he disciplines you. Notice what it says in verse 6. I went down. Stop right there. I went down. On one hand, of course Jonah's going down. Where else is he going? This is called gravity. This is what you do in the water. We know that. Yes, clear. On the other hand, this is very important. Because in Jonah chapter 1, what did Jonah do to resist God? He went down. He went down to Joppa, verse 3. Then in verse 3 again, he went down onto a ship. Verse 5, he went down into the bowels of the ship. He goes down and down and down and down to escape God. What does he finally realize here? That's all I've been doing. That's all I've been doing. I've been going down. And on one hand, this is a sign that God is with him. Why? Because God is working on his heart to finally understand all that he has been doing in his disobedience to God. That is absolutely true. And God is with him and refining his heart and and bringing him to the point of repentance. That is true. But on the other hand, here's what Jonah knows. I was going down earlier and now I'm going down because of it. I deserve this. I am under punishment. This is directly correlated with my sin before, and it is of the most extreme discipline because here he is going down to the ends of the mountains, to the root of the mountains. You can't get further down than that. It's really that you're being buried prematurely in the sea, and this is the time that you're transitioning from life to death and afterlife. Hence, at the end of verse 6, it talks about how the bars have been closed around me, and notice the last word, forever. Jonah knows this is the most severe discipline, this is the most certain discipline, and it is the most deserved discipline. I deserve this. But here's what's amazing. He says, even then, God is with me. God is with me. And if you don't understand the profundity of this, think about parenting for a second. Sometimes when we discipline our children, our children ask the question, do you still love me? And sometimes they ask it to try to manipulate their way out of discipline. And you say, yes, I do. Watch this. (laughs) But there are other times when they ask because they're really wondering. Just like the prodigal son. Will my father accept me back? Even though I'm in discipline. Even though he's cast me down to the deep. Will he take me back? And Jonah says, God is there. And he hasn't stopped loving you. And he hasn't cut off his love from you, nor his grace, nor his mercy. That's the beauty of omnipresence. Because he's there. He is there in all that he is. Even when the discipline is so severe, to those who are repentant, he's with them. And so we see, God. when is God with you? He is with you in danger. Whether that be you're dying, whether that be you're lost, whether that be you're under discipline, whether that be you feel trapped, whether it be all of the above, God is with you. And that is the beauty of his omnipresence. To put it in terms of Romans 8, 38 through 39, we are so familiar with this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. He is there. His omnipresence triumphs over all. Nothing can impede that. Nothing can obstruct that. That is the beauty and the conquest and the victory of God's omnipresence for the believer. That he is with us no matter what, in whatever circumstance. It cannot affect or detract or inhibit his presence with us in relationship. That is our God. 
He is with us when we are in danger. But it's not just that he is with us when we are in danger. He is with us in deliverance. He is with us in deliverance. And we see this in the rest of verse 6 all the way to verse 7. The rest of verse 6 all the way to verse 7. He is with us in deliverance. You see, it's not just enough to know that he is with us in every circumstance. You need to know, and Jonah wants us to understand, and this is what deliverance brings out, how God is with us. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it's not just enough that you're there. You need to know that God is there to act, to intervene, to care. It kind of reminds me of the story of two little boys, and they were, you know, were bullied on the playground, and one boy, brave, supposedly, told the other boy, I'm going to stand up to the bully. Are you with me? And the boy said, yeah, I'll stand right here with you, right here. I won't move. I'll be here with you. So the one boy, the first boy, the courageous one, he stands up to the bully and he says to the bully, you and all the tall ones before you, from the Nephilim, turns to the boy who's just standing there and says, hey, I thought you were supposed to be with me. He says, I did exactly what I said. I stood there and I didn't move. We don't just want somebody who's there. We want somebody who will act. We don't just want somebody who's there. We want somebody who actually cares. Omnipresence is beautiful because it's still tied with all of other God's attributes, including his omnipotence. Omnipotence is not as beautiful without omnipresence because if you can do something amazing, but you're not there, then you can't do it. But being just present somewhere and not being able to do anything is still not as helpful. And what Jonah reminds us in deliverance is God isn't just there every moment. Praise God for that truth alone. But God is ready to act. He's ready to intervene. And we see his power on display. Notice what it says in the middle of verse 6. It says this, and I love it. You brought me up. You brought up my life. Notice the language, you brought up. What direction has Jonah been going in? Down. Going down and down and down and down. You know what God can do? You know the power of his power? It's this, he can reverse everything. He can turn it all around. That's God's speciality. That's the nature of his redemption. He reverses it. He turns it upside down. Everything you thought was going to happen, he can do a 180 on it. That is what he does. That is the kind of power that he has for those whom he has chosen. On top of that, it's not just a power of reversal. Notice the last part of the phrase. It is a power that brings my life from the pit This is the language found in Psalm 1610 about the Messiah, interestingly enough. It is used and quoted in the book of Acts chapter 2, where it talks about how the Messiah will not see corruption. He will not see the pit. His life will be brought up from the grave. Why? Because this is the nature of resurrection. To be clear, to be clear, did Jonah die? No, it'll be brought abundantly clear in verse 7 that he was just about to lose consciousness, not necessarily die. Nevertheless, Jonah says, it's that kind of power that was in my life, a power that can overcome death, a power that can do what no man can do, no man has the ability over. It is that kind of power that God had for me because he was with me with me. God, when he is with us, God, when he is omnipresent, is not just standing idly by. 
He is there to interdict. He is there to intervene. He is there to turn things around. He is there to overcome with the most power that anyone can have, a power that overcomes death with life. He has that might. And so Jonah, in an outburst, reflecting on this, and if you remember nothing else, it should just be all captured in this one phrase. He yells out, Yahweh, my God. That is the summation of this entire theology of God's omnipresence. It is the fact that Yahweh is Yahweh, that he is faithful, and he is filled with loving kindness, and he is filled with mercy, and he's the covenant God, and he never changes, and therefore he is omnipresent. And furthermore, then, he is not just Yahweh, he is Yahweh my He has a relationship with me and I with him. Therefore, he is with me. And he's not just mine, he's my God. The term God denotes how God is almighty, how he is the most supernatural, the highest one of all, the most powerful. And that is the nature of God's omnipresence, that you have a God who is faithful to you, whom you have a relationship. He's by your side. He will never leave you, and he is the most powerful God because he is my God. Not just an an angel, not just a supernatural being, certainly not just a man or a friend. He is God. That is what Jonah celebrates. By the way, Jonah, in the opening of this entire prayer that he prays to God in the belly of the fish, he says, I prayed to Yahweh my God. And at that moment, Jonah reengages in a relationship with God. When did he learn to do that? At this point, when he's in the water. And when he realizes he's been saved. When he realizes God has intervened. And he realizes all that entails. And he says, Yahweh, I finally get it. You're Yahweh. You're not just any kind of God. You're this kind of God. And you're my God. You're my God. And that is the reaction we need to have. When God is with us, he's not just there. That's already wonderful. He's there to act, act powerfully, to turn everything around, to even overcome death. And in verse 7, Jonah saves kind of an epilogue to this, the best for last, shall we say, the best for last about the beauty of God's omnipresence, that what you learn in deliverance from God's omnipresence. And the logic of it is kind of like this. Sometimes when young children ask us, can I go to the bathroom? You say, of course you can. Most people can. People have that ability. The real question you should ask is, may I go? Because it's not about your ability. It's about permission. It's not about ability. It's about willingness And here Jonah says, let me tell you the most astonishing thing about God's omnipresence. It's not just that he's with me in all kinds of situations, death and dying and lostness and no escape and discipline. It's not just that he's so powerful in his omnipresence with me. It's that he cares about me. He's willing. He's willing. Notice what it says in verse 7. When my soul fainted, when my soul was about to faint within me, From this, yes, on one hand, we do realize that Jonah didn't die. He was just about to lose consciousness. That's true. And that'll be important for later. Nevertheless, when Jonah faints, you're at your weakest point. You're at your point where you can't bring anything to the table. You can't bring anything to the negotiation. And therefore, you don't have merit and you don't have value. You are weak. You are vulnerable. You are nothing. 
And Jonah says, and at that moment, I remembered Yahweh. And on one hand, yeah, it's great that you remembered Yahweh. It's great that Jonah, who never recalled God for the entire first chapter and really suppressed him, finally he remembers this is God's discipline at work. God is with him in this way. Yes, that's true. But you could also say it this way. It's a little late, Jonah. It's a little late. Only when you're in the most extreme trouble, only when you are about at death's door, only when you're about to lose consciousness, then you remember Yahweh? Jonah, you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve anything. Yeah, sure, God can save you. And yeah, sure, you remember Yahweh. But here's the question. Will Yahweh remember you? Because he doesn't have to. And the way you've acted, you're despicable. And you deserve judgment. You even said, I deserve judgment. That's why you're going down. Here's what's amazing. Jonah says, I, I couldn't do it. My prayer came to you at your holy temple. Jonah has talked about this holy temple earlier in the passage. It's the temple in Jerusalem. Now think about this with me. Think about this carefully. Do you really think Jonah could pray underwater, hundreds of feet under the sea, and somebody's going to hear him in Jerusalem? Do you think you could pray off the coast of whatever place he's at and somebody would hear him in Jerusalem? Do you think much less when you're underwater and your lungs are filled with water and you can barely breathe that anyone's going to hear you whatsoever? Do you think it's going to be even coherent? No. So why did Yahweh hear him? He says it in the first phrase. Because my prayer came to you. Because you were right there. And at that moment, God could have ignored Jonah. He had every right to. God could have enacted in full discipline and executed this prophet. He had every right to. God could have acted in no mercy whatsoever. He had every right to. But what does God still do? He listens. He listens. The prayer came to you. And at that moment, Jonah says, you know what's most beautiful about God's omnipresence? It's this, that wherever I am and in whatever state I am in, God still hears me. Brothers and sisters, this should just show you the profundity of prayer in and of itself. It's a miracle, and it's highly supernatural, because what's amazing is that you can go anywhere, and God will hear you, because he is everywhere. That's amazing. And he can answer your prayer that we pray for someone else somewhere else. Why? Because he's there too. Amazing. But know this as well, and this is what Jonah reminds us. Even when in situations, whether it be our ignorance and that kind of sin or our deliberateness and that kind of sin, we ignore God and we forget to pray. And we pray at the last minute and we know we don't deserve to be heard because, yes, the righteous prayer of an availeth much, but we're far from righteous. What does Jonah say? Even then, God heard. And that's the beauty of his omnipresence. That's what drives all of this together. We see God is with us in the danger and he's with us in the deliverance. All of that is true. All of that demonstrates and illustrates and brings forth the dynamics of his omnipresence. But there's one more point. One more point. You say, you ran out of verses. It's true. (laughs) But there is one more point. It's that God is with us directly. God is with us directly. You see, having heard all of this, 
Maybe you say, yeah, I could see how God could be with me in extreme times. But, but then you talk about this deliverance stuff and, and power and overcoming things like death and, and turning things around and interdicting in these ways and that he cares even when we're far off and, and, and all of these kinds of things. I, that might be true for Jonah. I see it in Jonah's life. I see it in other biblical characters' life. That's nice for them, but that's not the rule. That's just good in the Bible, but that's not good for me. It never happens that way for me. Sometimes we have that kind of skepticism. It's combined with the kind of skepticism, the right kind of skepticism that says, I never win at anything. I enter a, a raffle, and I don't win. I enter a prize drawing, and I don't win. I enter a raffle where it says 59 out of 60 people will win, and I'm the one out of 60. I only win and not winning. That's my life. What do you mean that God is going to do this for me? That's the exception. I'm the rule. And I understand your skepticism. I really do. I understand you think that this is something exceptional and you're the rule. But let me tell you this. You're wrong. You're wrong. It's not even that, well, we just got to qualify this and, and there's, you know, the nature of God's promise and it won't. No, you're wrong and you're right all at the same time, for all the wrong reasons. And you say, what? Chow, that is the biggest country. What, the, what you mean you're wrong and you're right and all at the same time for the wrong reason? What does that even mean? I'll explain it to you quickly. I'll explain it to you quickly, and here's what it is. Here's why you're wrong. Because when Jonah is saying these things and reflecting on these things, he's not just making stuff up. He's actually quoting from previous psalms. He's quoting from previous Psalms. I mentioned one, Psalm 16, verse 10 was one of them. Here's another one in Psalm 18, when it says that the water wrapped around me, encompassed me, that's found in Psalm 18, verse five. This is reflecting on what David had talked about in his own life. And you say, well, that's not helpful. I'm not Jonah and I'm not David. Well, let's keep going for a second. And in David's own Psalms, but whether that be Psalm 18 or Psalm 16, he says that this will ultimately be fulfilled in Messiah. And you say, well, that's still not helpful because I'm not David, I'm not Jonah, and I'm not Jesus. You're right, but don't forget this. Don't forget this. What do we have in Christ? His resurrection is our resurrection. Listen to these passages. Romans 8.11, the spirit who raised Christ dwells in you and will give life to your mortal bodies. His resurrection, our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who fell asleep. Because we are in Christ, what God did ultimately for him in the resurrection, in deliverance, with his might, with his power, with his intervention, with his omnipresence, that is ours in him. We have his resurrection because we are in Christ. Therefore, these promises here, because they are tied with that entire chain of theology, that entire chain of text, those are ours. Those are ours, but it actually goes beyond that. And that's why on one hand, yes, you're wrong. These promises, this kind of deliverance, this kind of rescue, it is ours. It is directly ours, but here's why you're right. We actually have more than what Jonah experienced. Remember, Jonah didn't die. He was just near death. We have something better in Christ. We have it when you die. 
God is with you throughout your whole life. God is with you not only when you're dying, but when you actually die. He's not just in the valley of the shadow of death. He is in death itself. And when you feel the most lost, and when you know there is no escape from death, God is there with you. And he will raise those who are in his son from the dead. He will overcome the grave because of what his son has purchased, what the blood of the lamb has bought in his death and resurrection. He will raise you from the dead. And what does 1 Thessalonians 4 say? You will be with him forever. The one who was always with you. The one who was always with you. And that's what you will learn. Why? Because Yahweh is my God. Because Yahweh is Yahweh. And he will never let anything separate you from the love of God, not even death itself. He is my God because he is the one that has a relationship with me and I with him. And he is God, not just a guru, not just a powerful death. We have through death because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of God's omnipresence. God is with us in great danger, even in the most extreme danger. God is with us in deliverance and God is with us directly. That's the beauty of God's omnipresence. When you are discouraged, when you are in the pit of despair, when you feel lost, when you are dying, when you are counseling someone in total confusion, what do you say to yourself? What do you remind yourself? You learn the lesson that Jonah learned. God is with me. God is with you. He has never left you. He has never abandoned you. He has never cast you aside. He will never leave you. Not even in death will he leave your side. He will get you through. He will overcome. Why? Because he is omnipresent, and that means nothing can inhibit him. He is there. And that's what we must remember. But we can't just stop there. It's not just about us. The reason God is anywhere for us is because he's everywhere. And so we don't just look at God as if he's just our consoler. We remember our God. He is everywhere in this cosmos, everywhere in this creation. He is worthy of the worship of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Why? Because he's not just the God here. He is the God everywhere. And we pray to him because he is the God everywhere. And we exalt him because he is the God everywhere. And we worship him and do missions for him because he is the God everywhere. That is is what Jonah learned at that moment. And that is what God was solidifying in his heart so that in the end, he would have to go to Nineveh because God is God there too. Because the God anywhere is the God everywhere. Shall we pray? Our God and Father, may our eyes be opened to the fact that you are so great and we are so small. The promises we have in scripture are not just fictitious. They are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to embrace and know with conviction that which is true, that you are with us, that our life is not our own, but it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, in death and life, we are his, and he is with us. And therefore, every step of the way, even to death itself, you will be with us, and we do not fear. And you are there to overcome death with life. You are there to be with us forever. This is the glory of your omnipresence. May our hearts then see you as you fully are, exalt you as you fully are, champion what you are fully worth, not just our own praise, but the praise of every nation, tribe, and tongue, because you are the God over all.
Paul. Lord, help us to understand and live out the glory of just one of your many perfections, the glory of your omnipresence. In your name we pray. Amen.